After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Well, all right. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? It's great to be with you. But that's a lot of ites. You just uh, spat it off there. Uh, sometimes that can be difficult reading that. But uh, hey, it's a, it's a blessing to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I want to just thank our church uh, for how we are so gospel-centric. You know, our world is reeling today. Our nation is reeling after the events of what happened yesterday afternoon and then late last night. And uh, as was prayed already this morning, man, what a reminder that we are to be light bearers as we go out of this place, that the church is not just this gathering place, but we are the church and God is sending us out to uh, be light bearers and to proclaim the gospel to those that he puts on our path on a regular basis. And I wanna thank this church. We're also very missions-minded, uh, great commission-minded. Uh, some of you know, some of you may not know, I serve as the president of a 
a missions organization called Global Advance that was founded by my father uh, in 1990. And God has enabled us to go all over the world. We served in 110 nations now, helping to empower what we call frontline leaders, uh, amazing men and women of God that are indigenous to those nations uh, that God has strategically positioned in those countries to be catalytic for the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And this church has been a part of helping to support some of those efforts. And I just wanted to share, we just had 12 amazing leaders that were with us over the past two weeks representing 12 nations of the world, some of the hard, very difficult areas of the world like Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, other uh, nations like that. And one of the pastors that we partner with, Crosspoint helped uh, to support the work in Pakistan. His name is William Sarfraz, and uh, I think we've got a, a photo of him. Uh, but if you see there, God gave him a vision a few years ago to reach the unreached villages of Pakistan and uh, where people have never heard the gospel before, never even heard of Jesus. And our church uh, enabled Global Vance to come alongside and support uh, Pastor Sarfraz in that vision. Uh, in the past year, we've drilled uh, water wells. Clean water was a major issue in a lot of those villages, and they were able to share the gospel. And over the past 18 months, get this, nine new churches have been planted among unreached villagers in the Sindh province of Pakistan. I just want to say thank you, because that's a part of our church's arms extended to the nations. And uh, I, some of you know, I've, my, our, our whole family, we've gone to Vietnam a few times. Vietnam is a nation uh, less than 2% Christian, and uh, it's the fastest growing economy in the world right now. And, uh, but people are eager, a lot of young people that are very eager to uh, hear the gospel and hear who Jesus is. And one of the ways we engage in Vietnam is through coming alongside business people and marketplace leaders uh, that are first-generation Christians. And we visit a lot of their businesses. We hold leadership conferences for marketplace leaders and entrepreneurs. And I wanted to share the story because I thought it would be relevant talking about the power of the gospel. You know, Apostle Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And uh, we came and we visited this business and this girl, uh, Elizabeth, if we'll go to that next photo, she greeted us. It was a marketing and advertising firm. And the couple there on the left, uh, they are the owners of that business. And they're, they were Christians, but Elizabeth She'd never even heard of Jesus before. She's very talented, and she came to work there. And, uh, man, she helped. She landed the Samsung contract for Vietnam. Very talented young lady. But what nobody knew, what was really going on in Elizabeth's heart, was she was suicidal. And uh, her father had abused her, her her entire life. And a matter of fact, she said that I came to work here because I wanted to earn enough money because I was actually considering hiring a hitman to kill my own father because he had abused me my entire life. And she tells us this, we thought we were there just to visit a business and she tells us this story. But what happened was the very first week on the job that she was there, the owners of that business who were Christians invited her to their home and she heard the gospel for the very first time. And she said that night at that home, when I heard about Jesus, she said, I asked Jesus, to come into my life. And she said all the hurt, the anger, the, the rage that was so deep inside of me, she said, I felt it leave my body. And she said, I felt love and grace and healing 
when I asked Jesus to come in, entered my body. And I thought that was so awesome because the power of the gospel. And I wanted to share those stories, guys, because we're jumping into Genesis 15 today because it's the first introduction of the gospel in all of the Bible, really. And as you know, as Lance and others have shared, you know, the Bible is an ongoing story and God is always the main character. It's the story of his glory and, and, and picking up off of where we were last week in Genesis 14, uh, there was this massive epic battle between one group of kings ganged up against another group of kings and then Abram gets pulled into this whole mess because he's got this knucklehead named Lot who's his nephew who's living near Sodom where he shouldn't have been in the first place and, and he gets trapped and so Abram has to rally. Abram's not really a warrior. He's, he's more of like a, a farmer and, and a herdsman. And, and he has to gather 200 plus of his, his best trained men's and he, men. And he has to do like this Liam Nielsen style epic nighttime raid. It's a crazy story. They go in and they rescue Lot. They rescue the other guys. They rescue their goods and, and, and they bring them back. And then there's this mysterious persona that's introduced named Melchizedek, uh, who is, is a high priest who is a foreshadowing of Jesus, the great high priest, and Abram gave the first tithe in Genesis 14 to Melchizedek, and then the king of Sodom, who's a bad dude and represents a wicked city, offers Abraham a bounty, basically, and offers him great wealth and, and says, hey, uh, man, let me give all these goods and, and, and this bounty to you. And Abraham says, no, uh, I will not do that. I've made a vow in my heart to God that I would not take one thing from you, not even a sandal strap, because I don't ever want it to be said that the king of Sodom made me rich. I only want it to be said that God is the one that made me rich. And so that's the setup for Genesis 15, where we find ourselves Today And in verse one, it says, after all these things, it says that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And I just want to say this, that, that God has spoken through his word, the written word of God, the Bible that we have. It says it's living, it's active, it's breathing, it's able to divide between soul and spirit. God has spoken through his word, but also present tense today, God is still speaking. Those of us who have Jesus in our heart, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is, a, is that still small voice that quickens us and, and brings us to truth and reveals truth and confirms the word of God. And so uh, God has spoken and he's still speaking, but then in this instance, God speaks to Abraham through a vision or a dream and actually, that's going to happen in two different sections of chapter 15. And so that begs the question, well, what about today? Does God still speak through visions and dreams today? And uh, I think that's a great question. You know, as I shared earlier, uh, we work in some very dark areas of the world. And those that are really engaged with missions in some of the dark areas of the world, especially the Islamic region of the world, uh, it is common to hear stories of people coming and turning their, placing their faith in Jesus from a Muslim background because of a dream or a vision. I was told this story uh, like a couple of years ago, we worked with pastors in, in Pakistan and also uh, near Afghanistan in a city in that region, uh, very, no Christianity, hardly at all. Uh, a pastor told us this story 
um, a guy in his church who owned a bookstore. Now, there's no such thing as Christian bookstores in any part of that world. Also, unfortunately, in our part of the world, too, Christian bookstores are becoming less and less. But it was known that this store owner, this, uh, this bookstore owner, if people needed a Bible or they wanted a Bible, they could come to his store. And so the Taliban finds out about this guy giving out Bibles through this store. And, um, and, and so they send a man in to the store, fully strapped with bombs under his jacket. And he comes up to the counter to the owner of that store and he says, I'm here to blow up your store because I know, we know what you're doing. You're giving out Bibles. You have one final request. Man, what would you do if some, something like that happened to you? Well, the store owner remembered that he had a little scripture verse underneath his desk and he pulls it out and it was 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And he says, yes, my final request is will you read this scripture? And here's this jihadist kind of with a weird look on his face and he reads, love is patient, love is kind. And he closes up his jacket and he turns around and he runs out. The word, of the, God, the word of the God spoke. Well, that, that night, later on, that jihadist has a vision or a dream of Jesus appearing to him, and he feels love like he's never felt before. And he comes back to the store the next day, seeks out the store owner and says, how do I know this Jesus? How do I know this love that you're talking about? I wanna know that. So God has spoken through his word, He's still speaking, and so in this, this case, he speaks through a dream or a vision, and let's pick up, and what, is, what does the Lord say to Abram? He says, Abram, do not be afraid. Fear not. And I think it's interesting, in Scripture, God says, fear not, 365 times in various ways throughout the Bible. I think that's kind of unique and interesting that, that man, if you deal with fear, dabble with fear, man, there is a scripture verse for you from Almighty God every day of the year. And Abram is there, he's he's a wealthy guy. I mean, he just came off this incredible major success, and yet he's still afraid, and that flies in the face of what the world says that, hey, if you just have wealth, if you just are successful, man, you've got nothing to worry about. But here we find Abram is afraid and God begins to speak to him. He says, hey, you don't have to be afraid, Abram, because I am your shield. I am your great reward. And Abram might've been scared that the kings were gonna retaliate against him. I think that was part of it maybe. But I think God was also speaking to the very, very depths of Abram. And God's saying, Abram, If you only knew who I am, I'm your shield. I'm Jehovah God, I'm Jehovah Nisi, your banner. My banner over you is love, Abram. I'm Jehovah Shalom, your peace, Abram. If you only knew fully what I'm telling you right now, I'm Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And I'm gonna show myself strong to you later on in your journey, Abram. The shield, God is not only Abram's shield, but he's our shield. As well, And when you read scriptures like Psalm 512 that says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor like a shield. 
What an amazing, amazing promise that God gives Abram. He says, I'm your shield, Abram. I am your great reward. He's saying, Abram, I am enough. Man, every deep longing, every deep desire that's at the very depths of your core, man, Abram, if you just cling on to me, it can can be fulfilled in me. But Abram's response to God was interesting. It was more of a human response. I don't think he was fully comprehending what Almighty God was saying to him because he's like, but Lord, what are you gonna give me? Because I'm still childless in the heir of my house as Eleazar. And I love this because, you know, Abram was real and he was raw with God. Here God had just given this amazing promise that I'll be your shield, I'll be your reward, but there was still this longing that was deeply uh, inside of, of Abram to have a son, to have heirs. And it had been 15 years at this point now since Genesis 12, when God first gave the promise to Abram that, hey, you're, you're gonna have heirs and you're gonna have descendants like, like the stars in the sky. And 15 years goes by and Abram's saying, God, I don't have any kids. And Eleazar is going to be the heir of my house. And a truth, guys, that we can remember is, man, whatever we've got going on in our life, that God's big enough to handle it. He can handle our doubts, our frustrations, our complaints. Man, if we'll bring it to him. I love 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And it's easy to look at Abram and and admire uh, his patience, or you could also say his, his impatience, because of the fact that it had been 15 years since God had had given the promise. And I think what was going on in Abram was he was beginning to settle for less than the promise of God. He was beginning to rationalize things in his mind and and thinking about different scenarios. And and basically, you know, verse two and three, to paraphrase, well, I guess Eleazar is gonna be the heir of my house. He had already gone there in his thought process and his thinking, and the facts were still, man, he didn't have a child after all these years, but God's truth was always higher. And I don't know why it is, you know, uh, God, for whatever reason, many times he ordains waiting periods. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. I, I, I think about, uh, we took our family a few years ago to Disney World, and, and man, we were just told about, hey, the best ride that you've got to ride is the rock and roller coaster. You gotta ride the rock and roller coaster. And then we get there and it's like a 90 minute wait for this roller coaster. And I'm like, man, dude, I don't wanna wait 90 minutes to, for, for this ride, but, every, but I promise it's the best, you know, rock and roller coaster. And for me, 90 minutes is like a total beat down to wait. But think about Abraham, man, God makes him wait 15 years until he re-ups the promise. And then after that, it's gonna be another 10 years until Abraham actually has their son, Isaac. I think about different characters throughout scripture. Think about Simeon through uh, Luke, Luke chapter two, who had to wait decades. He had a promise that, hey, you're not gonna die until you see the Christ child, the Messiah. And Simeon had to wait until much, much later into his years. I think about Caleb, who we named our son after Caleb, who God says he's got a different spirit, but God gave him this promise, but it wasn't until 40 something years later until Caleb actually saw the promises of God fulfilled. And so, man, God may have you in a waiting period right now. 
And I just want to say this, that many times in those seasons of waiting and preparation that, that the Lord, He wants to develop something inside of us deep uh, so that He can do something great in and through us for His glory. And uh, man, I think about Hebrews 10, 23, that says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. And so here's Abraham, he's waiting all these years, a decade and a half now, and God hears him out and God responds to his doubts with a promise. In verse four, this one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body who shall be your heir. And God confirms his promise that he made years ago. And he reminds Abram of his greatness. I love the scene in verse five. God says, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's nighttime, they're in the desert. Step out of your tent for a minute, Abraham. Why don't you step outside and just go ahead and look up at those stars, millions of them. Go ahead and count them, Abraham, if you can. You know, I think about uh, the first time Sarah and I went to the big island of Hawaii a couple years ago, and, and we got there at nighttime, and uh, we, 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 we drove 45 minutes outside of Kona, to this little house that we were renting and uh, put our luggage down. And I remember just going, stepping outside, you know, just to get some fresh air. And I remember looking up at those stars. Man, I'd never seen stars like I saw on the big island of Hawaii at night. Millions of them. And I picture that's what Abraham is staring at. And God is giving a wink to Abraham. He said, Abraham, you want a son? You want an heir? Hey, I'm the God that does exceedingly, abundantly above all you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. I'm going to give you descendants like the stars, Abram. And God is so awesome. And then we get to the good stuff in verse 6. The main, I would say this is the crux of the chapter. And then Abram believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abram believed in God. He believed on God now. He believed what God was saying, and this is the first time in Scripture that the word believe and the word righteous is used in the Bible. And guys, this is the gospel. It's salvation by grace through faith that nobody can be good enough to earn God's righteousness. We have to believe God and his ability to make good on his promise, and that's what makes us righteous. And I, I, was, I heard somebody give an example of trying to earn righteousness uh, picture that there was like a, a swimming contest off the, the coast of California. And whoever swims the furthest, you're the most righteous. And so the first contestant gets out there and swims like a mile, and oh, that's pretty good. The next guy gets out there and swims like 10 miles. And, wow, that's, that's really good. But then God steps in and says, hey, my standard of righteousness is you have to swim all the way to Asia. And man, that's impossible. And that's the point that no one is good enough to earn the righteousness of God. Abraham was a good man. He was a great man. He did good works, but that is not what earned him righteousness. Think about it, man, how generous he was. He gave Lot the first choice of land. His nephew, who does that? Hey, yeah, here you go, Lot. What, whichever direction you want for land, man. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Nobody does that. That was a great thing, but that's not what made him righteous. He tithes first, the first tithe to Melchizedek. That's not what made him righteous. He refuses the wealth from Sodom, but that didn't make him righteous. 
And this is pre-law, remember? So he's not even circumcised yet, but God calls him righteous. And it's because his faith was in God that justified him as righteous. And it's our faith in God's work through his son, Jesus Christ, not our own work, which makes us righteous. And this passage is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. Let's read two of them quickly. Uh, Romans chapter four, verse two and three says, for if Abram was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Go to Galatians 3, uh, six through nine. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Awesome, awesome stuff. That's the gospel, guys. And then we get on to verse seven and God establishes his covenant. The Lord confirms that he's going to, actually he is going to give this land to Abram. They're gonna, have, they're gonna take possession of it. And Abraham asks, well, how is this gonna work? How am I gonna know? And so the Lord gives this crazy instruction. He says, Abraham, go get all these animals. Go get a heifer, go get a goat, go get a ram, go get a dove, go get a pigeon. And notice what Abram does, man. He, he doesn't like ask questions anymore. He Im- immediately obeys God. And what this was, what God was, was doing was setting up a covenant. And back in those days, the way they did a covenant, it would usually be, be between two parties and they would, they would uh, take these animals and they would sever them in half. And then both parties would walk through the middle as if to say, hey, if, if either one of us breaks this covenant, may we be like these severed animals. That was kind of the point of a covenant. But then it's interesting what God does. He, he allows Abram to go into this deep sleep. And I'm gonna paraphrase verses 12 through 16, basically. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say it like this. And God begins to show Abram, yeah, I'm gonna fulfill my promise, Abram because I'm a faithful God. And yes, your people, they're gonna inherit all this land, Abram. But you know what? It's not gonna be without trouble and heartache. As a matter of fact, there's gonna be oppression. There's gonna be slavery for the next 400 years. There's gonna be struggle and there's gonna be pain. But in the end, it's gonna be good because I fulfill my promises. And basically God is beginning to set up the entire book of Exodus uh, in, in this, little, this little section here. And he's beginning to tell Abram of what is about to happen uh, moving forward. And then uh, there's this, Abram sees this vision of, 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 in verse 17 and 18, there's this smoldering fire pot and there's this burning torch that goes through the animals as you see in that picture there. And what that was, that was an image of the presence of God. It was an image of the presence of God going through, passing through, and notice that it was only the smoldering fire pot and only the blazing torch 
God's presence that passed between the two pieces. It was God who passed through the pieces. It was not Abram. And it was God who sealed the promise, not Abram, because God had to put Abram to sleep so that he would not participate in making the covenant because this was gonna be an everlasting covenant. And if this was made with a man or with man's descendants, at some point because of man's sinfulness, it would be broken. But God says, no, my presence, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna seal the deal myself. And so God makes the covenant with himself so that it would stand forever. Look at Hebrews 6.13, it says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God is the ultimate promise keeper. God's promises are yes and amen. And I just think it's amazing, you know, the blessings that God gave to Abraham, they were multifaceted. They were personal, personal for him because Abraham would indeed one day have a son, Isaac, and God would give him great wealth and bless him and make his name great throughout the world. But they were also, there were national implications for this promise for the people of Israel, that the people of Israel would inherit the land Canaan and they would receive the Torah and they would become God's people. But also there were global implications for God's promise that this was the beginning of hope of salvation that would extend to all the nations, to all the families of the earth. And again, this, the main uh, character in this is not Abraham. It's not about Abraham. It's about God making an everlasting covenant with himself that was going to have implications for all of mankind in every nation moving forward. And guys, I just wanna encourage us today because these promises for Abram, they're our promises too. They're not just for Abram. We get to step into those promises as covenant children, as heirs to the promise because of Jesus. Uh, we, we get to step into this and, and there's a promise that, you know what? God's presence will never leave us, that he'll be with us through whatever we've got going on in our life, man. And they're reliable. His promises are reliable. Man, this is a foreshadow and, and hope for all of us that God, he promises to be our shield and our reward. And you know what? That wasn't just for Abram. That's for us too, that God is our shield and he's our reward and he goes in front of us. And man, all the things of God that are available to us, that we're, we're heirs to the promise of salvation as sons and daughters of Abraham as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And guys, we have the hope that troubles in this life are, are not permanent, they're not forever. We have a future hope and a promise that's eternal. I love that picture of God's presence going through those animals because, man, there was 400 years of oppression that was coming, but God says, hey, I, I'm not gonna ever leave my people. I'll never forsake my people, and he says that to us today, and that gives hope to all of us. It gives hope, it gives hope to Christians around the world who are facing persecution. I was just with guys from all over the world last week, and one, one brother from Afghanistan, and one of his very good friends while we were together, uh, who's a doctor there in Afghanistan, was, was, was killed last week. And we were able to rally around him. And this was one of the verses that, that, that we encouraged one another with Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to compare 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. And guys, finally, we have a role to play in the global great commission, the gospel, so that one day every nation will be worshipers of Jesus. I love what John Piper says. He says that all this blessing that was promised to Abraham will be enjoyed someday by all the families of the earth. God's purpose is to bless the world with the blessings of Abraham. He's to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. Genesis 12, two, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Therefore, even though God has begun his redemptive reclaiming process with a single individual, he has in view the entire world. He has a plan, a clear purpose for the centuries and it reaches even to us. Guys, what an awesome, awesome promise that we have God is the ultimate promise keeper and he goes before us today. And I wanna encourage us today, man. There's, I believe there's, there's applications here for, for all of us. I think, you know, going back to the beginning of the chapter, I think maybe some of us today, you find yourself and man, you're struggling with fear. You may be struggling with doubt. And man, God would just say, hey, let me be your shield. Let me be your reward. You don't have to be afraid. I think some of us may find ourselves in some type of a holding pattern or a waiting period. And God is saying, my promises for you are yes and amen. I'll never let go of my promises. Some of us may be going through trials, may be going through suffering today. And God would say to you, don't lose hope. My presence will be with you. I will never leave you. Just like the image that we saw him going through on our behalf. And some of us, man, I don't know where you're from. Maybe today's your day of salvation. Maybe you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus. And, and today the Lord's saying, hey, I, I, I'm here for you today if you'll put your faith in me. And then all of us, guys, we have a role. We have a role to play in the global Great Commission to see the glory of God extended throughout the earth in a messed up, dying world that needs the hope of the gospel. Man, we have that. We have that light. And so I pray you'll be encouraged today by God's word. It's living and it's active. And I'm just, if you don't mind, we don't usually do this, but I'd like everybody to stand and I'd like just to pray over the group today. And, uh, and then uh, we will take up communion uh, after that. So uh, thank you for allowing me to bring God's word today. Father, thank you so much for your word that it's living and it's active, God. Even though this was thousands of years ago, that your promises are still reliable, they're still relevant today. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you're with us through whatever we're going through today, God. And uh, God, that you paid the price for us so that we could be sons and daughters of God as we place our faith in you. So we love you, Lord, we thank you And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.